With that, uh, let me just kind of shift our mind back around uh, and get into Galatians chapter 5. And so if you brought your Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. This morning, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Uh, next week, we're going to be jumping into a series called Rooted. We're going to look at some foundational things and build on the theology that we have of who we are in Christ and who God is and what that means in our life and a lot of different things that we're going to be hitting over the next uh, eight to ten weeks. Um, and we want to invite you to be, make sure that you be a part of that series. But before we jump into it, um, there was something kind of on my heart this week uh, that I felt like, like I was just like praying, like, God, what are we supposed to talk about this week? What are, where, where are we supposed to go. Um, and he just led me to this idea that we have a battle going on inside of us. Are, are y'all familiar with that? Like we have a battle that is raging inside of us every single day. And it is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. How many of y'all, when you wake up, you feel it as soon as you get out of bed? We're, we're not talking about like your, your physical body, like breaking down. Like we all feel that at times. But like when you wake up, you just know like, man, I am in the fight of my life this morning because there is a spiritual realm that we can't see, but that we are living in it. And there is a battle from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep and even while you're asleep. And so just to help us get our mind around this idea, when we talk about the flesh, we're not talking about this fleshy stuff on the outside of our skeletal system. Um, this stuff that breaks down and we feel it when we wake up in the morning. This is not what we're talking about. The way that scripture defines the flesh is, is it is anything that we do to live out of our own resources. Our flesh is anything that we do to live out of our own resources and our will and our desires and our appetites, going after the things that we want rather than going after the thing that God wants for us as brothers and sisters in Christ in his family. We choose to live out of our own resources instead of living out of the heavenly resources, the overflowing, the unending treasures of Christ's life in, inside of us. And then on the other side, you, ha you have the flesh, but you also have the spirit. And the scripture says that when we come to Christ, we are a brand new creation, right? The old is gone. The new has come. And on top of that, we find out in the scripture too that God puts his spirit inside of us. I just love that Tim was talking about the Spirit and the Spirit being poured out. When we come into Christ, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so every day that we wake up in this battle, if we're in Christ, we have the opportunity to make a choice. We can choose to follow the appetites of our flesh, or we can choose to follow the appetites of the Holy Spirit that is present in our lives. And so you have this battle going on. This war that is always raging between the flesh and the, the spirit. They are always against one another, like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, right? Have y'all been watching this? Y'all been seeing this at all? Um, I, I highly doubt that this is reality right here, okay? Men, don't be jealous of whatever's going on there, okay? Uh, this is probably AI at its best. Have y'all been paying attention to these two going back and forth with one another, talking about fighting UFC style? Like the, I, saw, I saw something this morning um, that was, uh, we would never see um, uh, Ford and, uh, and Rockefeller wanting to jump into a cage match together. But yet we have Mark Zuckerberg and we have Elon Musk who are talking about going in and duking it out. 
There's always a battle that is going on right now between these two. And I don't know if you're following it or not. If you do, I don't know who you think would win. I don't have any money on this thing. And probably, you probably shouldn't either. But that's happening. <clears throat> when, when I sit down with, with couples in my office who are getting ready to, to be married and we start going through premarital counseling or sit down with a, a couple in the office who might be having some struggles at home and we start having a conversation, um, I almost always use the exact same illustration. And so if you've ever been in my office, at some point you've probably heard this illustration or seen this. Uh, and so what I'll do is I'll draw a box on uh, my board and I, I say, this is, the, this is the boxing ring. And you are each in one uh, corner of the boxing ring. And what happens is we find ourselves in this boxing ring fighting with one another over all kinds of stuff. Like leaving the toilet seat up. Uh, who spends more money in the family or who's the penny pincher and the financial fights that go on there. Why is there a new truck in the driveway and I didn't know about it, right? Um, who's picking up the kids? Uh, how'd you forget to pick up the kids? Um, again, right? A lot of my illustrations come out of my own life, okay? Um, that has been a reality. Like, did you forget one of the kids? Yes, I did. I'm sorry. Um, I'll try not to do it again. And then those things, they begin to snowball into other areas. And before you know it, you're really kind of going at it. You're really kind of duking it out with one another. And it's like you're in this boxing ring and you're fighting each other. Like you got Muhammad Ali in one corner and you got Mike Tyson in the other. I know they're opposite eras and they would never fight each other, but they're in the ring together in this illustration and they meet toe to toe in the center of the ring. And the goal is to fight until you win. To fight and take out the enemy who's on the other side of the ring. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who wins that fight, does it? Husband or wife. Because if you win the fight, at the end of the day, how do you feel? Do you feel like you won something? Or do you feel like garbage? We normally feel like garbage because when you're fighting with one another, nobody wins. And so here's what we talk about. We say, we want to put the fight into the proper perspective. We want our focus to be on winning the fight, and that's a great thing, but we want our attention aimed in the right direction. Often we have it aimed at the, the wrong enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. And if we want to expand the illustration, um, <clears throat> your friend isn't the enemy. Your brother or sister isn't the enemy. Your brother or sister in Christ is not the enemy. The enemy who's in the other corner is Satan. Satan is the enemy. The lies, the threats, the turmoil, everything that he brings, he is the enemy. It's not the spouse. And so what we want to do is we want to join up in the same corner and we want to fight the right person. We have to fight. We get to fight, but we have to fight the, the right fight. So let's lay that in the context of the battle between the flesh and the spirit here. Okay. We want everyone to get into the right corner. We don't want to join over into the flesh corner. We want to stay over into the spirit corner. We've got the spirit and the flesh who are going toe-to-toe -to -toe every day. And our goal is to get into the corner where the spirit is fighting and let him fight our battle and so that we can live a life that's strongly connected to Jesus. Now, the book of Galatians is so good at helping us get our mind around this, helping us get our arms around this. Now, we're not jumping into a Galatians series this morning. We're just kind of dropping in for a minute. And so we're just kind of scratching at a couple of things here so that we can get to the fruit that we talked about. We want to get to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in Galatia, in the ancient world, Galatia had become this melting pot, this 
ethnic diversity and cultural diversity and diversity of religious thinking and political thinking that included the Romans and the Greeks and it had the Jewish community involved as well. And so now in this community, you've got people who have decided to trust Jesus and they are in the mix. And they're coming from the Roman backgrounds and Greek backgrounds and Jewish backgrounds. And so they are, they're carrying into the family of Christ all these different backgrounds. And so they're coming in with baggage. Now, some of them, they had worshipped other gods. Some of them had different priorities in life. Not the same priorities as somebody else in, in the family. Some had said yes and no to certain things that other people would never say yes or no to. Some people were married and they were living a life that was single and going to the temples and doing whatever they wanted in the temples. They were living a pagan lifestyle because they were pagan. And so the question was now, as a believer, how are you going to stand out and differentiate yourselves from the culture that you've been plucked out of, that you were a part of, and you are still surrounded by? Anybody feel that tension in your life right now? How do I differentiate myself in Christ from the culture around me, but yet I'm still living in the culture that's around me? Okay, it's an important question that we're still wrestling with. It's actually a big deal um, that we're facing in the church culture today. So when somebody comes to Christ, what's the difference in their lives? Think about that. When somebody comes to Christ, what changes? What's different about Joe non-Christian sitting next to you than you who's trusted Jesus? That's a practical question. I, I think that, that we can take a second to answer, okay? Just individually, just think about that. Take a second. What is different about you right now in your life since you became a Christian? Since you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust Jesus, whether it was Two minutes ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 75 years ago. What is different in your life having trusted Jesus? It's very practical. But there's also a theological answer to the question that has implications for how we live today. Um, Jesus, in our lives, when we trust him, he literally takes up residence inside of you. Theologians uh, and the early church fathers, they called this union with Christ. This is our union with Christ. And, and so here's a true statement that you can hang on to. If you've trusted Jesus, you are a brand new creation. You're a brand new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us about it, that we're not just a better version of our old selves. We are a brand new creation in Christ. And here's what he says, Paul says in Second Corinthians, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that the beautiful imagery? Like the old person is gone and yet now you're walking in this new life. The old man is gone. The new man has come. But people in Galatia who Paul was writing to in this moment and you and me who are reading this thousands of years later, they were struggling with this. They were struggling. They were on the struggle bus. Anybody feel like you got a seat on the struggle bus? Like the spiritual struggle bus trying to figure out how do I walk this life out? The new believers in Galatia were trying to figure this out. And so Paul says, I want you to know something. He tells them, maybe for the first time, or maybe he's giving them a reminder of what he's already told them. He wants to know, this is who you are. This is to whom you belong. This is who is living now inside of you. 
This is what has happened to you. And then he goes and he tells the, he tells the Galatians in chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and flip to Galatians chapter 2, and verse 20, this is my favorite verse in all of Scripture, actually. Um, it's sitting uh, carved out in a piece of wood uh, in, my, in my window in my office. Um, Galatians 2, 20. This is what Paul says that has happened inside of you. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I got an assignment for you to do if you have a pencil or a highlighter or if you're following along in an electronic Bible, I want you to underline three things. Would you flip over to the next one? Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ. So write somewhere or underline, I have died. If you're a believer in Christ, I have died with Christ. There's something that has happened spiritually in your life that happened to Christ. Paul says, I've died with Christ. Secondly, I am indwelt by Christ. Christ who lives, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am indwelt by Jesus himself. And then the third thing to underline or to write down is I am dependent on Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God. I can't live out of my own resources and believe that I'm going to have fruit of the Spirit popping up in my life. It says, I am going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Doesn't that blow your mind? It's hard for us to get our mind around like how Christ could take up residence inside of us, but he has. We are a brand new creation. He lives inside of us. You are brand new. And somebody might say, well, I don't feel new. I don't feel like anything has changed. I don't feel different. And to that, we would say, well, your faith is not a feeling. Are there feelings involved in your faith? Yes, but your faith is not a feeling. Your faith is a reality. The Spirit is ready to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life, which are these evidences that you belong to Jesus and you are growing. He's taken up residence in you so that you might begin to produce fruit. And that fruit is evidence that Jesus has done something in you and is doing something in you and that you are growing. But I want you to listen to this, okay? There's the beauty that we're new in Christ, but there is a danger around this too because this is a big deal. Satan does not want this to happen, okay? Satan does not want you to have fruit in your life. He does not want you to grow. He doesn't want spiritual fruit hanging on your tree. In fact, he's actually pretty ticked that you gave your life to Jesus. Whether it was today or 50 years ago, he's pretty ticked that you gave your life to Jesus and you became a Christian because that affects his bottom line. Like, dang, another one got away from me. There's another one who is, has the potential to upset the whole sin enterprise that I've got going on. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I am not happy that I've lost somebody. He's not happy that you're growing. He's perfectly fine if you step into the family and you just sit on your hands and you do nothing and there's no spiritual fruit happening in your life. He'll leave you alone. But he's not happy that there's fruit beginning to show up on your tree. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he has come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And so when you come to Christ, you are a new creation, living this new life, experiencing life in Christ. But Satan now has put a target on your back. If, if you could spiritually look at your back, there is a target that Satan has put there with your name on it. 
And there's a battle going on inside of us. Jesus has you. Satan wants you, but he can't have you. And although he can't have you, he can keep you from growing. He can keep you from experiencing the life that Jesus wants to give you. How, how does he do this? Okay, this is big. He does it by convincing you to live out of your flesh, to live out of your own resources, rather than living out of the spirit who's at work inside of you, out of all the treasures that are in heaven. Well, what's that look like? Living out of our flesh just looks like us doing whatever everybody else is doing and have no concern about what's going on in our heart. Just following the trends, just following where, where the road might take us. That's what that looks like. Uh, <clears throat> my buddy, he, he's got two bull, bulldogs living uh, in, in his house, or he had two bulldogs living in his house. And <clears throat> bulldogs are hilarious. Are there any bulldog owners in here? You, any bulldogs? What do y'all got against bulldogs? What do they ever do to you? Right? Well, he's got two bulldogs living in, uh, or he had two bulldogs living in his house. And they're hilarious because they walk around, they're snorting everywhere like pigs, making all kinds of noise and grunting. When they sleep, they snore like an old man, right? They're just, they're just crazy. But one of these dogs was fat, man. Like it was a fat dog. And the other one, it wasn't small, but it, had, it was no comparison to the fat dog in the house. It's actually, uh, it was really weird shaped. Uh, it was long. And, and skinnier than the other dog. It was um, just a weird, odd shape for a bulldog. And, and I, I, I looked at my buddy. And I was like, hey, uh, dude, like, what's up with your dog? <laughs> He's like, what do you mean what's up with my dog? I'm like, it doesn't look like it's supposed to look. Like, this is looking like it might be more like a, a Datsun than a bulldog or a mix uh, of the, the two. And I said, so why is one so fat and the other one a little bit misshapen? And he said, the fat dog was bullying the smaller dog and it was eating all of its food. And so one dog was eating all of the food and the other dog wasn't getting the nourishment that it needed and so it was affecting him. Guys, there is an illustration that comes along when we're talking about um, the flesh and the spirit and this battle that wages inside of us that we have two dogs that are living inside of us. That we have the flesh dog and we have the spirit dog that's living in us. And both of those dogs are hungry and both of them want to be fed and both of them are ready to fight. But the question is, which dog is going to win? And the answer is, it's the one that you feed. It's the one that gets fat. It's the one that keeps getting nourished. And so the question is, which dog are you going to feed? Are you going to feed the flesh or are you going to feed the spirit? Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You guys tracking with what this means? What Paul's talking about here? He's saying in Christ that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to our flesh. He says sin has been dealt with. Jesus dealt with that. And so those chains are gone. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to bring those back. He wants to bring you back to you, those chains. And he wants to lock you back down in them. And so often we would say, well, I would never do that. But yet we let them. We walk right back into it. We, we just put the chains back on. How do we do that? We refuse to grow up. We refuse to grow up. We refuse to fight the fight. 
or to let the spirit fight the fight in us. We feed the old dog instead of the new dog. Now Galatians 5, let's jump in there quickly. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now we could we just stop right there. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't give in to all the garbage that's after you. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are at odds with one another. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we read that list, brothers and sisters in the room, when we read that list, do you find yourself in there in any of this? Like, I think that shoe has fit us at some point in our life and still fits. Not all of it, but some of it we continually walk into. Envy, drunkenness, fits of anger, jealousy, idolatry, sexual immorality. How often do we walk into these things that Jesus tells us and Paul tells us to stay away from? Like the shoe fits us sometimes. But here's, here's the goal. As we get into the corner with the Spirit of God, ready to fight, ready to let Him fight, the fruit of the Spirit begins to pop up in verse 22. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, we're not going to go down a cultural beat down here, although I think there are some things in our culture that we could totally beat down. Um, but I will say that our, our culture loves to lead us into this flesh life that Paul's talking about. Just loves to take us down that road. Loves to take our hand and walk us down into the things that the Lord has said, stay out of and stay away from. This is not who you are anymore. And, and, and so we get walked down the flesh life away from the Jesus life. Because we are not going to be driven to walk in the spirit by our, our culture. Because our culture lives by this, these mottos of, of have it your way. Do it your way. Don't let anybody put limits on your freedom. Don't let anybody put limits on your sexuality. Don't let anybody put limits on your gender. Don't let anybody put limits on your appetites. If it makes you happy, then do it. If it feels good, go for it. No limits, no restraint. This is the mantra of our culture and our society. And Jesus is over here saying, while, while the culture is doing their thing, he's saying, guys, I've got so much more for you than what Satan is promising you over here. I've got so much more. And guys, the fastest way to wreck your life is to just do whatever you want. In verse 17, Paul tells us the fastest way to wreck our lives is just to do whatever we want, to, to have no regard for the people around us, no regard for our families, no regard for friends, no regard for God's word or God's law, just free reign 
Me and my appetites are in charge. No restraint. Nothing's holding me back. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell you, you can live like that. Hear me say that. You can live with no restraint. You can live in licentiousness and just disregarding what freedom is actually meant to be in Christ. You can go down that road, but you can't live a fruitful Christian life like that. You can't be fruitful just doing your own thing. And don't you just want more than the crumbs? Don't you just want more than, than, than the little things that we're going after right now? Jesus is over here saying, man, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Come and live from me. Come and live out of my resources. Don't settle for this stuff that's going to just rot. Come and live out of me. Paul says, I, I want that life. I want the Jesus life in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I want this, but there's this something that's going on inside of me that keeps me from going down that life. In one minute, I'm going after the thing that God wants me to go after, but then in the next instant, I am going after the thing that God doesn't want me to go after. There is this war that is raging inside of me. It is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul says, this wretched man that I am, what am I going to do with this? And he just showcases, like this is a guy who wrote so much of the New Testament for us. Saying this is the battle that we're ra that's raging every single day. So let me ask you this really intrusive, but very simplistic question. What are the things that get in the way of you walking with Jesus? What are the things that get in the way of you walking in the spirit? And let's just be honest. Is it temptation? Is it your pride? Is it selfishness? Is it you're just tired? And you don't have the desire to go after the things of God? Is it that you're busy? Is there envy in your heart? Comparison in your heart? Gossip in your heart? Anger in your heart? Screen time? We can't get away from entertainment? Is it sports? Football is about to go in full, full motion? Is that going to be a restrainer keeping us walking with Jesus? Um, for me... It's when I've, I feel like I've been wronged. Um, when I feel like somebody has done something against me or my family um, or my reputation or that is damaged in some way. When I feel like somebody has wronged me, then um, all these things begin to come out in me. And there are barbs around my heart that happens. And I think in my heart, like God is still trying to, to round off those edges He's still trying to do some work in my heart. But for me, what keeps me sometimes from walking in the spirit is just somebody wronging me and I go down the wrong path. What is it for you? What's the thing or things that keep you from walking with Jesus? And so I think whether you're a new believer or whether you've been a believer for years and you've been walking with Jesus uh, for a long time, it's a healthy practice for us to see if we're growing up in our faith and if we're looking any different than the life that Jesus has resurrected us out of, he's rescued us from. And one way for us to do that is to see, is there any fruit on our spiritual tree? Is there anything hanging there? And if there's something hanging there, what's the quality of that fruit? And so let's look at verse 22 as we close this baby down. Okay. But as we look at verse 22, I want to give just a, a helpful reminder by a guy named Dallas Willard. Anybody familiar with Dallas Willard? Um, the Spirit of the Disciplines talks about what it looks like to, 
to walk faithfully with the Lord. He's an author, theologian. He's a philosopher um, as well. And he is a great go-to when we want to talk about what it looks like to live out our faith in a very consistent and practical way. And something that he says, he says that none of the fruits of the Spirit are a feeling. So if you're waiting for some feeling, this warm cozy to begin to pop up in you about the fruits of the Spirit, he says it's not a feeling. And if we don't know that, we'll wind up trying to cultivate a feeling instead of cultivating a condition. Like we'll feel like we're walking with the Lord if, if we feel like there's something happening. And we won't if we don't feel like we'll, we'll chase the feeling rather than chase the condition of our heart um, where God is doing some for, formation work inside of us. Um, so he is saying, let the fruits become a part of our lives whether we feel like it's happening or not. So... For that as a reminder, look at verse 22. Um, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love here is, is agape love. It's, uh, agape love is love that's in, in action. There's affection. There's benevolence. It's caring for people. There's brotherly love that's wrapped up there. Um, it, it, and it's more than just words. And so the question we walk away with from, from love is, do we love people? I mean, like, hard check. Do you love people? Or are people a burden, and do they exasperate you? Not just they become exasperating at some point, but just like you just would rather go into a closet and not deal with, with anybody. You know, one of, my, one of the, the, the joys of my heart is just spending time with people. And uh, I like to use the word linger. I just like to linger wherever people are. But it's a bad thing, too, because sometimes it keeps me from doing my work. I just, want, I just want to talk to people. I just want to hang out with, with people. Man, I just, I just love people. Do, do you guys love people. Joy, he says, is another fruit. And joy is this pervasive and firmly established sense of well-being. This is what Dallas Willard says. He says, you know this when you see it. It's, it's joy. Is your heart re receptive and, and full of joy, or is it frequently heavy? Peace. Peace is a, a fruit of the Spirit. And this, is, I think, is, it's resting in the goodness of God. You ever see people just running around frantic all the time? And just like there is no, there just seems to be no peace at all in, in their heart. They're just frantically going all over the place. Um, I, I've recently, I've begun to swim, right? This has become something I, I really enjoy. Y'all who know me for a long time, you know that I've got back issues, surgery, and all that kind of stuff. And so the thing that I get to do is swim. I can't run anymore. And so I go, I go to the pool and I swim. And there's a guy there who likes to teach everybody who's in the pool. Like, you know, you know those guys? They just like to teach everybody. And, and he's great. He's taught me a lot of things while we're in there. And so I was working on the butterfly. Yeah, anybody? Are there any swimmers in here? Like, that's what you do? Okay. Like, you know the butterfly. Like, that, that's a hard stroke. And, and so, or at least it was hard for me. And, and so I'm trying to figure this thing out. And the lifeguard thinks I'm drowning. He's got eyes on me all the time. And I'm just, like, doing the thing. And so the guy says, hey, let me see your butterfly. I know you're, I know you're working on it. And so, uh, so I do it, right? And, like, halfway down this 25-yard pool, I feel like I'm about to drown. I'm like, this is all I got, man. And, and so I get to the end. And then he, he kind of just glides down to the end where I'm at. And, and he's, like, he's like, it did not even look like you were taking any strokes. He said, what you reminded me of was a frantic person who was about to drown. And I said, well, that's probably because of how I felt, right? But he, he said, like, you had no, you did not have the motion. There was frantic. There was franticness in there. And we look around in our Christian lives, our brothers and sisters, and we've got brothers and sisters who are running around frantic. Like, there is no peace at all in their heart. And, and Scripture points to, like, Jesus is peace. 
Like when you trust him, like you can trust that he can put things in order, right? That he's in control, that God's got it. I can trust that God is good and that he's in control. And so let me ask you, how is your heart? Is your heart at peace or is it frantic? Is it at peace or is it frantic? Patience. Patience, fruit of the spirit. People have said don't pray for it because you'll get opportunities to practice it. So what is your patience like? I will be honest with you, and I don't have a lot of patience. And I pray for it, and God keeps giving me opportunities to test it, and I keep failing. So how is your patience? Kindness. Kindness is a demeanor of genuine care for people. When I think of kindness, I think about sweet Jane. Uh, Jane is an uh, older lady who lives in New York where we used to live. And uh, sweet Jane, uh, I, I called her the other day and she's, uh, it was her birthday. She's turning 80 years old. And I was so excited for her. And I was so excited to talk to her. And when I, when I called her, uh, she said, oh, Anthony, it's so good to hear from you. And she told me while we were talking, she, she said, I want you to know that every day I pray for, I, I want to cry. She said, every day I pray for you and your family, every one of you by name. And she was asking about our youngest daughter and like how she, is so, how she could pray for her too. And, and sweet Jane is the picture of kindness. Whenever you see her, you just feel like, man, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to sit in your house and I want to talk to you. You know kind people. And, and Paul says kindness it's supposed to be fruit that is hanging on your tree. And so how is your kindness? Are you kind to people? Are you a sweet Jane around other people? Goodness. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's doing the right thing when people are watching and when nobody else is watching. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Ready to act out of your hope and your trust in Christ. Does our life demonstrate where our faith is, does it, our life demonstrate that our trust is in Jesus or is it demonstrating that our trust is in something else? I was reading in Psalm 20 this week and the psalmist there says that, I think it was David who wrote it, <clears throat> Psalm 20, he says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. And so where is your trust? Not just where your thinking is, but where is your money? Where is your possession? Where is your attention? What are you putting your trust in? Is it out of your own resource or is it out of the heavenly resources of Christ? Self-control. <laughs> self-control. That's a tough one, isn't it? How's your self-control? Do you blow up on people? Do you have restraint? Out of that flows gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit, slow to anger. Um, this isn't so, gentleness is not soft, men. Listen to me. Gentleness is not being soft and weak. Gentleness is this controlling of harnessing what could come out of me, but I'm going to operate out of, of gentleness. And so how are your responses to people? Are you slow to anger or are you ready to, to blow up? Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pick one of those, one of those fruits on the spirit. Uh, fruits of the Spirit, one that you want to grow in and say, Lord, would you, would you help me grow in this area? I know that there is this battle going on between my flesh and between the Spirit. And I want to have the discipline to pray for the things that you want in my life. I want those evidences 
to be in me, not to show off, but to be different than the world, than to go down the path that you want me to, to go down. I was doing a funeral for a guy not that's years ago now, um, but it was actually one of my, my favorite funerals as a um, big biker guy who, who had passed away and um, had a, a biker gang um, crew with him that was at the funeral. Um, and uh, we got to the point where we got to share memories together. Uh, and it's always a dicey thing when you open up the microphone and you let people start talking, okay? Um, but we did. We opened the microphone and people were sharing stories. And I will tell you that in this room, it was deeply Caucasian and deeply biker. There was a guy who stood up who was neither a biker nor Caucasian in the room and shared a memory about this fellow. And uh, he said that there was a time where he was out of town and he forgot to put his trash cans out on the, the curb or whatnot. And when he came home, the trash cans were empty. And what he found out was that this fellow who had just passed away had taken his trash down to the curb because he knew that he was out of town. And then he said of the same fellow, um, he needed new tires on his car and he didn't have the money to, to pay for tires for his car. Uh, and so the um, fellow noticed that his tires were in bad shape. And so when this guy wasn't home, I don't know if I would suggest doing something on somebody's car if they're not home and you haven't asked, but... While this fellow was not there, he went over and he changed all four tires, like bought tires and changed all four tires on this fellow's car. Now there is fruit of the spirit that is evident in that fellow's life. There's gentleness, there's kindness. There's this faith, like, they all, like there's a lot of fruit hanging on that tree. Now I don't want to be morbid, but when you sit up somewhere in a box and your life has come to an end, and people are sitting around and they're sharing stories about you. What are the fruits of the Spirit that they might talk about? What are the things, the evidences of Christ in your life that a group of people who are gathered to mourn and celebrate you might talk about? Think about that and ask the Lord to develop those in you. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for this morning. God, we, uh, we get to gather and we get to celebrate and we get to talk about you and we get to dive into scripture and we get to try to talk about things that we can apply to our life. And so, Lord, I pray that if there is anything that was said this morning that is applicable, would you bury it into our hearts? Where your word is spoken, may it not return void. And would you allow us, Father, not out of spiritual pride, but out of a desire to seek you, would you begin to produce fruit inside of us? Give us that desire for the fruit that you want in our lives so that we might look different than the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.